Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical consultant on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do all kinds of wonderful things at a place called Freethink, and I'm delighted to be here with you this week. I'm also delighted to be joined by, I've described it in the past as a full complement of excellence. I'm going to do that again. Because it's always wonderful when we're, we're in the room together, when folks haven't been dispatched to the four corners of the earth. And I can say that to the left of me, I, I'm actually looking at Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. He has Present. a purple tie on. It's very nice for him. Uh, Michael Moynihan, who has been punching away on his MacBook Pro, also in the building. He I, is, I'm writing an ad on Backpage.com. Oh, good <laughs> yeah. for you. I'll tell, I'll tell you if I get any uh, get any bites. That's good. I'm literally getting any bites. That's good. <laughs> That's and what if, I'm advertising. If, if he does get bites, you yeah, might yeah. you might hear or see something about it on uh, Vice News tonight, which appears on HBO. I just shot my chair down accidentally, um, and we're also joined by our, our good friend Anthony Fisher, who does all kinds of stuff at Business Insider. But I guess it's just called Insider. Yeah, it's really both. And I said all kinds of stuff, but he's a uh, editor, political <laughs> politics editor or something like that. I don't know. He manages kids. Today he wrote a piece. I'm sure we'll get to that. We but should, We should probably disclose that we're not drinking. Look, it's always the end of a long day. Camille's tired. That's okay. He's going to get into it. He's going to catch his rhythm. And you don't need to draw attention to my deficiencies. Anthony Fisher, thanks a lot for that. Uh, it's, I, I'm, it. it's just a, a, a pre-med couple for all of yeah, us. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. This might not be the liveliest show. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, gentlemen, how the hell are you? Sober. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. What do we, what, do you ask how I am? Yeah. Just at me? Or are we talking about all of us? <laughs> We're talking about America. State of the, state of the country? I made, a, I made a general question, and I'm interested in everyone's status. Uh, status? Mm-hmm. Like relation, what, just like status of, of happiness? In general. Did you make up I, I with Ann know. Coulter or not? <laughs> I, I did, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, uh, if anyone saw, I did a piece with Ann Coulter this week. Was it this week? Last week? Last week. And um, mentioned it briefly last y- week. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then and then she tweeted at me. I, d- I did Chris Hayes' show, and she watched it, um, which she claims, I never watched Chris Hayes' show, and I just saw you on there and <laughs> been flipping the channel. And she said um, that I was a liar. Um, and... Uh, I sent her an email privately because she was nice enough to to do this interview with us. Um, and Anne's a very nice person. I disagree with her on almost everything, but especially she, the Grateful Dead. Um, oh my God, yeah, worse than her immigration views. Um, <laughs> can't believe she likes a band with a singer called Jerry Garcia. Does she know that? Yeah, yeah, she yeah. know that where he's from. And so yeah, we we did we did have a have a little makeup um, just because I don't know. I feel bad when anyone's mad at me. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, I do. I do. It's even her. Like, people are like, oh, who cares? Ann Coulter, she's trolling and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I mean, she was really nice and came and sat and did an interview with us. And And that thing splashed everywhere. Yeah, it was everywhere. It was really good. It was Mm -hmm. great. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and I didn't even actually, (laughs) I didn't even see why it was good and was everywhere because I didn't even see an edit before it went uh, on television. Because we fed it um, and uh, edited it that day. I just saw a lot on Twitter of screen caps of Moynihan face. Oh yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, skeptical face in that one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know I usually don't reveal things that are forthcoming, but I think that 
tomorrow. I'm doing this tomorrow, and it might be on tomorrow or on Thursday by the time this comes out. But uh, I get to sit, sit down uh, tomorrow in D.C., leaving tonight, hence the non-drinking, um, with uh, Governor Jerry Brown. Mm, that's yes. really great. If yeah. you want to wrong-foot him, um, make odd references to Linda Ronstadt? your friend Jacques. My friend Jacques. No, no, no. His friend Jacques. What's his friend? Who's his friend Jacques? For like 20 years in, in his sort of mid-period uh, that overlapped with this 1992 run, um, he hung out constantly with this kind of Svengali uh, type of uh, figure who even had some like religious overtones to it named Jacques something or other. I think he was a philosopher or, oh, or, or something. Jacques and Because like, uh, he, he, he trained for the seminary. Yeah. 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 You know, he's always been. Yeah. Uh, he's been a bit of a moonbeam. Uh, right? Like that. He's amazing. Yeah. That's a Mike Royko, by the way, coined that the governor moonbeam. Did he really? I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I kind of like him. I think he's a, he's an interesting, interesting guy. If uh, anyone wants to have fun at my expense, uh, try to Google uh, at reason or el- elsewhere. Um, uh, my name and Jerry Brown interviews me. Oh, just what happened when? Wait, he interviewed you? Well, no. I mean, I was at the Democratic convention in 2004 in uh, the in Boston, uh, and uh, and so I w- was uh, hanging around, and I see uh, Jerry Brown and like, a couple of other people, and I'm like freelancing for a reason. I don't really know what I'm doing, and and uh, so I'm like, oh, hi, Jerry Brown. I'm Lie Libertarian reporter. Um, is there? Can you give me a reason why uh, libertarians would be interested in voting for the Democratic Party this year, as opposed to George W. Bush? Yeah. And he started off with the like, well, I think it'd be reasonable if you're a person of <laughs> yeah, reason, yeah. and he started going yeah, on this. Yeah, yeah. But then he started asking me questions, like, yeah. so are you into like the Scottish philosophers? Do you, oh yeah, yeah. Do you like yeah. Turkish bats and sort of going on? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> do you like films about gladiators? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I and I was sort of stammering. He's like, you read Hayek and those guys? I'm like, and at some point, I'm like, listen, I'm I'm like a college dropout from Long Beach, so it's really not about the philosophy for me. He's like, oh, Long Beach, oh, that would explain a lot. You know, those people derive from Iowa more corn than caviar, and it's just going on and on and on, cross examining me, uh, and I look like a real doofus, and it's great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited, uh, to, uh, talk to him and I, I do, I do want to keep most of it about Linda Ronstadt. Yes. If I can, his, uh, he dated, sure he's never heard that before. He dated, no, oh, I mean, please. Yeah. He's like, uh, he, uh, who else did he date? He dated some other famous person. I think that, that was the main fancy one. And I should point out my colleagues at uh, my, uh, student, uh, college newspaper that I worked at soon after I left, uh, I'm in Europe, uh, and it's 91 campaign 92. Um, he comes through and we had, we had gotten, uh, uh, at a thrift store. You remember those like uh, those like uh, pictures or portraits from the 70s that was like on a piece of wood and the wood like curve and then on the top is sort of like a, a, a gauzy, uh, weird uh, kind of a, a, a picture of someone. The super 70s like carved out of redwoods kind of thing you'd buy in yeah. Sonoma or somewhere. Yeah. But we had one of those of Linda Ronstadt looking all like awesome in That's 1977 great. and yeah. just sort of pursed lips. And She's a bit of a crackpot too politically by the way, but continue. Yeah, and, and, and has medical issues. Well, we turned it around or they turned it around i wasn't there um and so it just looked like a piece of wood and so like he came through the office because he was giving a speech uh on uh stork plaza in santa barbara and the dudes at the newspaper were like uh hey can you sign this piece of wood i mean it doesn't mean much to us <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. really oh yeah that's a great i'm wow. sure they so, they sold it for like a hundred dollars a beer money wow can i ask a question yeah. why are you talking to jerry brown i mean he's 80 years old i suspect yeah. he's not going to be drafted he's, to run for no president. he's he's running the atomic clock 
Now, did you heard about this, right? No. He's going to be uh, the uh, king, the kingpin over at the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, who also run the Doomsday Clock. Huh. And so he's in D.C., um, uh, you know, going around and pressing flesh. And he did a, a thing with Adam Nagorny from The New York Times after in January of last year after he was done being governor and said, just retiring to the ranch, and he doesn't seem like he can get away from it. So he's back in, in some capacity doing something vaguely political. But the interesting thing is, Nagorny also wrote a piece called "How to How to Interview Cherry Brown," um, and apparently he's a very notoriously tough interview. Hmm. And if he doesn't like you, doesn't want to talk to you, he's not going to do it. So I'm excited about this. So this, this I've, I mean, nothing He'll, was tougher than the Beastie Boys interview I did recently. But this this could uh, treat it like a treat it like a fifth column podcast, uh, except only slightly more hostile. Um, so, but he likes to, uh, uh, jump around everywhere. I've, I've had like four interactions with him in my life. Yeah. All of them have been equally, totally bizarre. And he's just like flying off. He's super smart and like has a, he's yeah. got that kind of Nick Gillespie brain of having references to things that, yeah. that, that no one else in the world should ever know. Um, and, uh, and he, he likes to drop those in conversation. So since you can punch toe to toe with most of that and, you know, drop at least a so. bunch of Nazi books on him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the California stuff. I don't know, but water issues. I don't know. I just don't care. So anyway, I don't think he does anything. Apparently, he dated Ariana Huffington as well. Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! Yeah! Huh. Yeah! Did, he, did anyone? Did he date Michael Huffington? Anyone? <laughs> They're both single. It's packaged. They're both single at the same time. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> the love wins. Um, so there are some things going on in the news cycle. Um, I think we recorded last week Thursday with uh, Brian Stelter from CNN's Reliable Sources. Um, I thought that was a very good conversation. I thought it was interesting. With mm-hmm. Moynihan it and was. Remote. Um, and also very timely, yeah. surprisingly. A sedate conversation, by the way. Yeah. We haven't mixed. And now we're sober. I mean, we have, yeah. we're going to have a couple of couple of sober right. ones in uh, a row. Yeah, still exciting. Yeah, okay, exciting. all right, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is as we were having that conversation, there was news being broken. The, the world was being turned upside down because there was a breaking story um, from the good folks at BuzzFeed, the investigative team there who we talked about in a prior conversation with Ben Smith, um, who've done a lot of deep investigative reporting on the Trump Tower um, Moscow project. And in this particular case, they were making a claim uh, in their reporting that Donald Trump had instructed his then lawyer, his personal attorney, Mr. Michael Cohen, who was working this Trump Tower Moscow deal on his behalf, that Trump had instructed him to lie to Congress, that they had this information, which was provided to them by two different sources who were involved in the investigation of the Trump Tower Moscow project. And... For about 24 hours or perhaps a little less than that, that was the only thing anyone could talk about. The other shoe was just dropped. This is the thing. This is a huge deal. If this is true, the, the biggest this huge is going true to undermine so far, think, right? the yeah. Trump administration been completely. One yeah. of those reporters, I will say before, because I wasn't here, I don't think the uh-huh. previous one, uh, is a dear friend of mine, uh, Jason Leopold. Uh-huh. I like Jason a lot. And he is a... A, a very good report. I don't know if this is, it hasn't been, it's not bullshit yet, right? It doesn't seem like it's true. And, and the special counsel's office came out with a statement, which they rarely do. So people right. all of a sudden trust the FBI. Uh, no, the FBI denied it. So it's true. I mean, Jesus, it's very far from the parallax view, isn't it? The paranoid seventies are gone and everyone's just sort of embracing it. But I'll just say that also that I was really upset by one thing in particular is that, um, Jason might have gotten this wrong. I, I, I don't know. And there could be a million reasons for somebody getting a story wrong. I just thought it was a bit sleazy for um, a person we talked about on the show actually last week, uh, Oliver Darcy, to come out and, and drag up Jason's 
uh, history of drug abuse, which uh, he resurfaced um, to impugn his credibility, I suppose. But Jason wrote a book about it, and he he was a ba- he had a bad run, and um, he's had some family tragedies in the past couple of years that were just really horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how public that stuff is, but he's just he's had a bad run. But he's a he's a good guy and a good reporter. And I just don't like the fact that we talk a lot about this fifteen year old kids and their names being attached to things that they won't get jobs forever and ever. Right. Um, you know, even when you do have some accounting and you you're the one doing the accounting with your own past, as Jason's done, is that the second you make a misstep, it's just going to be slapped in your face forever. But then he knows that too. Of course know, he like does. The, of course the he does. The misstep was is his back in the uh, back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and again, sure. this is not something that that is defensible, and Jason knows that. That puts a high level of uh, of like evidentiary threshold on everything he does, and that's why he's become this great uh, FOIA guy, right? Yeah. Like he's the, he's documents chief. Yeah. Partly to like say this these can be concrete things. Uh, it's just that I think it sounds like that they oversold how strong the uh, or relevant that sourcing was compared to what people were willing well, th- to Well, that's say. just it. I mean, I think there there really are still some questions about the nature of the particular complaint that the Mueller team is actually picking here. So the BuzzFeed story opens with President Donald Trump directed his longtime attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about negotiations to build the Trump Tower in Moscow, according to two federal law enforcement officials involved in the investigation of the matter. But it also goes on to say that Trump also supported a plan set up by Cohen to visit Russia during the presidential campaign in order to personally meet President Vladimir Putin and jumpstart the tower negotiations, make it happen, quote unquote, the source said Trump told Cohen. Now, again, this is the sources telling the reporters here what Cohen said based on documents and supposedly some testimony from folks who are in the Trump organization. This is a huge sort of if true thing. The statement from the Mueller investigation spokesperson is actually pretty succinct. BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and characterizations of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. I don't know how you interpret that. Is this a broad this is definitely not true. Is it specific elements of this are not accurate? We don't know. One interesting thing is Ben Smith and the two journalists from BuzzFeed who worked on this story have been defending their reporting. Anthony Cormier has said he believes that they are 100 percent accurate in their reporting. They have continued to stand by it. Uh, ben Smith and I guess we'll have too, to see yeah. what comes out. Who and, knows? and Ben Smith is also standing yeah. by it. Ben has also asked specifically that there be some clarification from the Mueller team with respect to what they got wrong. And there have been crickets in response to yeah. that. Did the original story specify the Mueller special prosecutor office, or do they say a federal investigation? Because there's two federal investigations, and that's part of the, mm-hmm. the hair-splitting interpretation of this whole thing is that uh, Leopold and Cormier got their uh, information, they're relying from it from the Southern District of New York, who has different information and also different incentive structures about the, uh, and different, like, uh, I think they've been more leaky mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. Uh, has been the uh, Mueller investigation. I don't think it's clear who it came from. And when they've been but pressed right, on that in the interviews, right. they've pivoted back to, we can't talk about that Leakers are being persecuted by the administration. They're likely to be punished. We have to protect our, to- our sources. So we can't tell you more details about who our sources are. We can't even tell you more details about the documents. We're trying to do additional reporting on this. Um, and apparently we may hear more about this later. Um, but this becomes one of several pretty high profile Trump Russia stories that 
has yet to be corroborated by anybody else. I remember the story about Manafort supposedly meeting with uh, Assange yeah, 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 there's Luke, in the embassy, which we're still waiting that for that. one, I think, fell apart. That but one fell apart. I mean, the, the thing they is, haven't on the face, away from they haven't backed away from it. On the face yeah. of it, it's just ridiculous because it's the most monitored place in London, I would imagine. And uh, Paul Manafort ambling in there probably would have been noticed by somebody and nobody else has come out to corroborate that. McClatchy, Luke, Luke Harding has got some, got some, Oh, uh, McClatchy, McClatchy did. No, McClatchy has a separate story that ha or a suite of stories that have not been corroborated mm -hmm. about Michael Cohen's visiting in Prague, that there was yeah. like cell phone tower traffic, That's right. by intelligence yeah. services that have proven that he was there or that a cell phone was in Prague definitively. And everyone's like, wow, that's a, that's a huge, if true. Um, it's not quite as huge as, as uh, Trump telling his lawyer to lie to Congress which is a pretty specific crime, um, but it's a huge if true. Uh, and But no other uh, uh, places has out there has confirmed that. And McClatchy uh, said it was a third-hand source. Like at least uh, Leopold and Cormier are saying, we spoke to somebody who saw this stuff. But didn't they also um, uh, have a, a disparity in the way that they characterized uh, the uh, what if they've seen the documents themselves or whether they talked to someone who had seen documents? I, I think I, I heard two different... Uh, uh, responses from them in the in the yeah storm. I think that was that's right and no, I mean true. granted yeah. you're you're in the eye of the storm it sucks and mm -hmm. you're probably going to uh, contradict yourself in these kind of things but uh, again it's it's kind of like the the political weird man's burden when you stick stick your neck out and I'm doing a thing that nobody else is doing mm -hmm. then you have to be like five times as as uh, as bulletproof um, it's uh, uh, it, it's it's weird I was uh, having a, a back and forth with uh, somebody a long time kind of reader who was kind of busting my chops about this because when this story broke, I pointed out, because uh, it is pointing it out, that Jason Leopold has a very good reputation and that this team has broken stories six months in advance that have turned out to be uh, what we think corroborated by other people, like sure. the Trump Tower meetings and things like that. And they're like, ah, now look at you. And I'm like, you know what? Th that's actually part of media literacy. Yeah. Like if someone comes out, like if McClatchy comes out with another Michael Cohen and Prague story, part of media lo literacy is, is to say, yes, they've had other ones. They looked pretty impressive and that they didn't get uh, corroborated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason that if this was published by Gateway Pundit, we wouldn't be talking about it is because they have a kind of a low batting average. And Jason and, and the team over at BuzzFeed have a pretty high batting average on a lot of this stuff. So, but I think the point of all of this is the is the boring, is the boring one, is that what we've discovered in the past um, couple of weeks is uh, to, to bang the drum about this. That's probably the segue. Um, is that, <laughs> is that uh, don't trust your the first take that you get. Just relax and everybody calm down and well, don't say the president is going to be impeached. It's, you know, the, there was a, there was, I think, I can't, I saw it online. Some conservative people were publishing this, um, this kind of supercut of people saying, if true, uh, which I thought was quite, quite good. I was like, yeah, I know that's this, like, it was kind of a afterthought. It was kind of a hesitation. They're saying, you know, bombshell, bombshell, if true, it's not a bombshell if true. It's a story, you know, it, that you shouldn't put bombshell on the headline if we really don't know, if it's hinging on. If true, it's, you know, we found the guy who killed Jimmy Hoffa, but I just, some guy told me this thing. It would be a bombshell, but it's not a bombshell yet. It's you're constructing a bombshell. And the, the, the excitement that you see with people in the media all having something, and that's fine. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't get as exercised as most people do about this. I do slightly more when I see this child. This 15-year-old in this, you know, um, uh, Covington nonsense that we've been talking yeah. about for a fucking week. Well, but that, that thing is just like, I, I mean, it, I think the fact, that if those kids did not have MAGA hats on, if they were sort of, 
from, you know, different cultures, different races, et cetera. There's like one black kid there. Um, I think that probably that story would have played out differently. I mean, just walked right into our stereotypes and yeah. just sort of hung around for a bit of the Catholic school kids. I and mean, of course we saw the, everyone saw this insane tweet from this person, the Brett Kavanaugh picture, mm-hmm. you know, the oh, 10 yeah. year challenge or whatever the joke, I guess that was a joke there. Um, and it was like, this is, this <laughs> is the person. face, was it, this is the face of white supremacy. Yeah, I, think, I believe that was Anne Some, Helen Peterson, who's uh, like of BuzzFeed of all places. Yeah, she should be fired. I mean, is she a reporter? She's or she a had opinion? senior culture writer and Western oh, correspondent. Western correspondent. I have seen more. Well, she shouldn't be fired. Sorry about that. I thought she was like a news reporter. I've seen more blue check mark journalists say more absolutely horrendous things and exhibit the worst uh, journalistic judgment over the last 36 hours on the story than I've ever seen on anything before. I want to be sure to put a pin in a, in a question that I have. Obviously, when you're doing the sort of deep investigative work that the team at BuzzFeed is doing, you are going to have sources that you're developing over time and things that are reportedly said that you can only say, sources are telling me this, I haven't seen the documents. At some point, you report that. At some point, you report it with qualifications. The question becomes, how do other people go about amplifying it and what sort of conversations are people having about that story? There are two decisions there. One, when to report this, this thing that you can't say for sure, but you suspect is true based on your sourcing. And the second thing is, what do you do in response if you are part of the commentariat, if you are a major news outlet? Do you spend 24 hours talking about this? And if you do... How qualified are the things that you say? It, in a way, it doesn't matter, right? Because okay. because you can say you know bombshell if true, but the way it's the way they do it. I mean, you can see this on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and every other one, is that you have the report, right? This if true, it says X, Y, and Z, and this is impeachment if true. And then you turn to this panel of idiots, right? <laughs> Sweating losers who do nothing and they have something on the Chiron of like a national something, you know, expert. Editor at large. Editor at large kind of thing, you know? Um, CIA, CIA <laughs> analyst. Yeah, yeah ex CIA analyst, you know? And then they talk about it as if it is true, right? So it's a case of like, this is going to be a thing. And then if it's going to go through this, and then he's going to be impeached, and then everyone's going to. And like, the if true just becomes the kind of afterthought because everyone's playing this and wargaming it. And the other thing is you can also kind of tell, and this might be a, a bit more Governor Moonbeam <laughs> mystical stuff, but it, it, I can always tell in the voice, right? The way it's presented, you can tell the glee or the or, or how, how much they wish it to be true. Right. I mean, you can have if you have there's a particular a couple of particular people on on um, on uh, cable news. You can always tell that the the if true is, is muttered sotto voce. You just don't want to. And they just desperately want it to be true. And then the, the extreme end of that. On the conservative side during the Obama administration was Glenn Beck. And on the other side of this now is uh, is Rachel Maddow, is that somebody, you know, at a blog spot blog could write something about Russia and she can spin a beautiful mind conspiracy about it for for 45 minutes or whatever Mm -hmm. and get seven million dollars a year. It's an astonishing thing. I think that one of the um, the the biggest problems with the way anonymous sourcing is done I think you got to have the anonymous sources in this world. It's essential. You, I mean, everyone would be things. prosecuted yeah. otherwise. But yeah. almost nobody. And I, when I was uh, editing uh, uh, newspapers, I would uh, enforce this rule to the greatest extent possible. Um, uh, blah, 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 who uh, wish to rename anonymous because. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we don't know 
Um, and I always want to try to find out reading between the lines of a story is why are we hearing about this? Sure. Someone was motivated for this. Was it really that the reporter uh, saw a door could tell that some weird stuff was happening behind that door? That actually happens in, in one of the uh, courtrooms where like a bunch of sealed activities happening sure. down in, sure. in uh, I think in Virginia, uh, in, in this case, there's been like actual outside of the door reporting. Right. But was this that, um, you know, these are documents, guys, Leopold, especially. So um, who was motivated and what and how does this moment in time uh, fit that person's motivation? We get no sense of that. And I'm not singling out Jason in this case, although, uh, you know, it's their story that has uh, egg on its face uh, in a way right now. But that's typical for the course. It's uh, all, uh, you know, just Trump White House Omnishambles yeah. stories are all like this too. Why aren't you yeah. on the record? It's because you're afraid of getting fired. Okay, let's say that yeah. because that's actually an important thing. Or a, a, yeah, it's also important that the differ. There's a there's a, a big difference here between when people. And Ron Bailey actually wrote a piece about this a long time ago. When people say, "Oh my God, that study was funded by the tobacco mm-hmm. companies." <laughs> well, is it falsifiable? Can you can right. you replicate the results? That's easy. I don't give a shit who funds most things, right. provided scientists can. And actually recreate the same results. Then we have science. Pretty straightforward. This is obviously quite different. Is that I, I give an example of this? Jill Abramson, the former editor of the New York Times, who has a book coming out called Merchants of Truth, and you'll see soon enough the irony of that title when I write when I'm, I'm writing now about it. There's a um, three chapters about yeah about a quarter of the book or, or a third of the book is about vice. And it's about people I know and years that I've been there and reading it is a jaw dropping experience because as we've talked about in the show, it's like when somebody goes on television or on the radio and talks with authority, they were just given this, this is what we're going to talk about in the next block in the green room. And they talk with authority about a subject you know about, and you realize how nobody knows anything and they're just shuffled in and out. The Abramson book was quite funny because I, everybody who I knew in the office that I showed it to was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And then you start realizing where it all comes from. Hmm. And, oh, I know who, who dropped that. And I know why they dropped that. It's not true. And I know exactly it makes them look great. And it makes other people look bad. And I know exactly where all this stuff comes from. And it's like, it's like counting the rings on a tree. It's like, it's exactly where it comes from, when it was leaked, et cetera. And does she identify those oh people? Oh my God, no. Uh-huh. Good God, no. It is, the, it is the worst paste job I've ever seen in my life. And the stuff that she actually reports is all wrong. I mean, she, there was one thing we can say publicly because uh, uh, she referred to one of the correspondents on the Vice News Tonight Show as transgender. And it's, she's not transgender. Oh, and it's just insane. And all the other stupid little details. She had these color shoes on. She doesn't own shoes that color. She had this kind of hair. She didn't. She didn't have that kind of hair. All that kind of stuff. In uh, th- so no so on that sense no the stuff she's actually reporting is bad too. They're not something in there about a uh, Haiti funding vice. Yes, is <laughs> is my favorite and a brief thing to show you. This is important to remember, by the way. Jill Abramson was the editor in chief of the New York Times. Ouch. It, this is what she said about Vice's funding. Vice was funding funded by a um uh, like a cultural some organization cultural something in Haiti. Of all places. <laughs> and then the, the, a couple of, uh, of uh, uh, paragraphs later, it says, when the Haitian funding dried up, and it's like, you know, I think in Haiti, <laughs> dur- during the end, sort of the end of the Duvalier era, <laughs> Jean-Bertrand Aristide was like, I want to fund 
papers in Canada. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do, you have any investments in Canada? But yeah, let's do a punk rock magazine in Canada. About cunnilingus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Vice guide to giving head. Does great she, stuff. Does she back it up with anything? Or is it just no, non sequitur? No, no, it's, it's, it's so... This is bad journalism. This is the editor-in-chief of the New York Times. We do a lot of stuff about media in here. This is why the titles and ascending to those heights should mean nothing. The thing, and she has the three of them, hmm. three founders doing this. Well, there wasn't three of them at the time, which is one, Sarush Alvey, who's great, talked to him today, and we talked about this very thing today. And he was tasked uh, with some crazy project, he's got a job, that there was a Haitian, a big Haitian community in Montreal, because they're French language, right? So uh -huh. it, there was a Haitian community that had a newspaper. And they said, we want to do an English language newspaper now to reach the other people in Quebec. Will you start it? And he was like, yeah, I'll start it. And so he starts doing like reviews of punk rock records and then hires his friends, right? So that was the funding from the country of Haiti. And that's how, that's how it filters through the dumb brain and comes out <laughs> with the dumb fingers into the incredibly stupid computer and printed by a very, very dumb, dumb publisher who paid a million plus dollars for this book. No. Yeah, I heard it was a seven figure. Uh, who are you I could be wrong. I who are you know. writing for? I don't know yet. Okay. So, I don't know. It's a tough one because it has to do with where I work yeah, now. So I want to pivot to these kids um, who were at the mall, but a, a related question here and related to some criticism of the podcast that I saw online uh, recently, and you weren't here that day, Moynihan, so I suppose you're off the hook. Um, but for the rest of us, apparently the conversation that we had with Ben Smith from BuzzFeed, who obviously features prominently in the whole episode involving this story, which, you know, the credibility of, of this piece is on the line here. One of the people who listened to this podcast described um, our exchange with him that we were giving him a tongue bath and I don't remember that. Uh, certainly don't remember it being. <laughs> I certainly don't remember it being that. But yeah. I do remember, and we don't actually, remember the tongue bath. <laughs> and we've actually done it again here. We talked about sort of the quality of these these reporters, and we've yeah. talked about the quality of the work they do. And there even seems to be in the room here some general belief that they probably did careful work here. Yeah. And well, I think not there's careful an enough. Well, perhaps <laughs> not careful enough. But there's but there's an expectation back. that that these guys are are good at their jobs and that they weren't motivated by something nefarious to deliberately get this wrong to hurt the president. One, for the two gentlemen who were here, Fisher, Welch, like, do you do you understand where the criticism is coming from when they say we were giving a, a tongue bathing? Do you feel any differently about the praise that you offered for these two investigative reporters or for the investigative team at BuzzFeed more generally? Now that we know that there is a story about which there are some significant questions uh, about its veracity. I think that, again, part of media literacy is to, uh, A, know who's done it right and well and, and call it as you see it at that time and acknowledge that when that happens. Mm -hmm. And then, B, if there's some new information and we have new information, they ganked a story. Um, we don't know exactly how and why they ganked it. Um, we don't know. Uh, whether they uh, over relied on someone, whether they or whether they're just getting punished for getting something right too early and that's that's inconveniencing. Other, we don't know. We don't know. But they have a, they do have egg on their face that they didn't have at the time. And uh, and, and this is something that that people have a hard time believing uh, or understanding, which is to say that 
Imagine for a moment, if you will, as a listener or as someone who's observing someone else in the world, that I or anyone else is not does not actually have an investment in the story being true. I have an investment in understanding the world around me. And if a story, it turns out to be false, it's like it's the same thing with the Covington kids. I don't I'm not invested in defending MAGA hat. Smirky Maga hat. I'm actually, my cultural biases are against Smirky Maga hat if I have cultural biases to be. So the veracity of what happened on the mall, I don't have any stake in it. I don't mm. have one bit of stake in it, but I am interested in knowing what's true and also observing the behavior of people who say and relay things that are monstrous and very quickly prove to be untrue, right? There's a difference in all of this. So a lot of people wanted to be, were dunking on me and us for praising Jason Leopold. No, we should have praised Jason Leopold. He had been doing good work up until then. You can also say, and he used to be a total drug addict, uh, crazy person back in L.A., which he was, too. That's part of his story. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's the complicated thing. I think the person who's criticizing us is more like you didn't bust his chops about how the dossier sucks. Yeah. Right. I think, um, it seems like it was more of a we, BuzzFeed we had, criticism writ large. We yeah. had 30 minutes with a guy. Yeah. Um, we want, Most of the conversation was uh, Camille wanting to talk about um, the kind of uh, uh, a piece that, that he had written, Ben Smith had written about sort of the role of journalism in reaction to, to Trump world. Mm -hmm which is something that we talk about here a whole lot. We wanted to get there, and they had breaking news on the dossier within a court decision. So right. we focused on that part of it. Yeah, I'm sure it, 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 this is, but isn't this the most frustrating thing? I mean, I got, somebody tweeted at me. I knew it was going to happen uh, for the Coulter thing. I talked to Anne for, I think, an hour, 45 yeah, minutes yeah. or an hour. And the piece is four or five minutes. It's a 23, 25-minute show. So a lot of stuff to get to. It's a, it ends up being a four or five-minute piece. And she said something about drugs coming across the border. Now, we've talked about in the show that yeah. the majority of drugs are not coming yeah, across the border. you mentioned this last week, yeah. And, you know, I get, I get crucified for it. And I get, you know, and other people um, in person said to me, I was expecting you to push back more. And I'm like, oh, did you did you get the DVD that we created with the outtakes mm -hmm. with all the stuff of me pushing back? Because I don't have time. That's not how things work. I'm offended by Jill Abramson, who has 350 pages and a million dollars and fucks it up. You know, and this is the incredible thing. It's also with this Covington stuff. I'm the same as you. I don't have much sympathy for those kids just because. It, they're just not in from my world. I, I'm, I don't want bad things to happen to them. I don't want them to be unfairly treated on the Internet. I don't want bad stories and fake stories to come out about them. But, you know, OK, so the instinct is a bunch of MAGA kids and blah, blah, blah. All right, fine. I don't really care about their opinions because they're children. I don't care about children's opinions generally. If a 15-year-old came up to me and said, here's my opinion on immigration, I'd give him a piece of Bazooka Joe and kick him in the face. And say, you know what? Stop, stop bothering me, kid. Like I'm a 20s movie actor. I don't know why a 15-year-old be coming up to me talking about well, this. Well, think about it. In the era, the post-Parkland era, the uh, political opinions of kids are actually given a great deal of weight. Well, not, it depends on what the opinions are. Sure, right? exactly. Yeah. Whether the Parkland yeah. kids, they get, yeah, if they're... If they're MAGA kids, less so. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't think the 15 year old Holocaust there's, denier is getting a lot of. There's going to be a, park, a Parkland uh, Covington dance off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but you know, watching this stuff has been. It is, of course, my interest in this, and I think the interest of this show in general is uh, the journalism and the blue checkmark brigades, particularly. Mm -hmm. And this is the guy that's been picked on most because he's just a like a scumbag for doing this. Is uh, Reza Aslan, right? Who is just a hack anyway? Who says. 
this isn't this the most punchable face mm-hmm. and it's the, the the advocating of violence against a child strikes me as something that maybe you shouldn't do even if what we thought initially were true i still would not press send on that who the fuck does that yeah, yeah. Honestly, lots think of people about, lots, think lots about, and lots but Kari sellers did that I, but well look at and, and he's like seems like a fairly reasonable guy somebody, but that is the point this this is what we should take away from this not something about you know what is happening amongst Catholic kids in Kentucky Catholic schools. I don't care. Nobody else does either. And I don't think we can draw a sort of big lesson from 15 year olds. Right. I, when I was 15, I was a fucking menace. Right. All these people like this thing I heard a lot on, on Twitter. Well, you know, when I was 15, I was a nerd. I wasn't a nerd. I was a, I was a bad, I was bad. I was a bad person and I did bad things and I like, got in fights and I drank all that. It's not something I could do one of those now. <laughs> um, it is not something I'm super proud of at all. And I would never want to be judged by that stuff. And I didn't know the first thing about anything when I was 25. Take off 10 years. I know nothing at all. So the kids smirking and doing like he's trying to impress his friends they're all kind of, and you've been in that situation before. Everybody has. And you're just sitting there like, I'm going to stare this guy down. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're turning the hose on people in, in 1965 in Birmingham. It just goes bananas. And the last thing I'll say is that if you are the person, and I, I, I don't think any of these people listen to the show, but if they do <laughs> listen now, um, if you are that person who gets on your phone or gets on your computer and says, we have to find out who this child is. Mm. And we have to make sure that he never goes to college, that he never has a job. Kathy Griffith or whatever the fuck that idiot's name is, said this, who was attacking a friend of a former colleague of mine, Jake Hanran, last week, two weeks ago, like piling her, you know, going like saying attack, literally telling her, 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 her fans to do that. Um, and she's saying this stuff too. never let this person be. He, somebody else said, I, somebody other blue check said, it's unfair. We should never forgive this. Who, who is that? Did anyone see that? It was like, this is something that's, that's so low on the totem pole of, of crazy. Yeah, no, I know. But it's yeah. incredible that that is a thought that's because that's a moral calculation. Forgiveness. It's not like just an instantaneous kind of thing. You're like, well, when can Louis D.K. be forgiven? We talked about this in the podcast a few times. This is a kid who's literally has a dumb hat on, MAGA hat on, and he's staring at a guy. When should he be allowed to re-enter society? Yeah. This is bananas. And how many people, um, unlike him, I mean, he demonstrably, uh, I haven't seen evidence yet, and I refused, by the way, and I think I want to stick up for this refusal. Hmm. Long holiday weekend. Martin Luther King holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who, uh, the famous speech about how, you know, maybe you shouldn't judge people by surface kind of characteristics. Mm-hmm. So on uh, that weekend, people are parsing every possible video, including videos that have absolutely nothing to do with this kid or this <laughs> high school. Somehow though, these are relevant. Yeah. Um, they're looking for any search uh, for racism. And, they, and they're actually, I don't think there is any video evidence of this kid being racist, except that he wore a hat. Well, well I mean, they've, they've pivoted which I wrote about uh, when when there was no evidence of build the wall chance. There hasn't there, to 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 the date. There has not been a single instance of of an audible utterance of build the wall anywhere on the Lincoln Memorial. Which, by the way, is not racist. Yeah, but I that, disagree with it. But that was the that was the headline. That was the original you know the the, the original viral tweet. Were there, so any, they, were there any Mexicans there? <laughs> <laughs> what, what was he trying to build the wall? I guess it's just thing that. 
that actual Trump people say and shout at rallies. And yes. Yeah, I mean, I guess and, and they, they, they think it's. In, I mean, didn't. it's taken yeah. as intimidation. But yeah. they, so the the pivot was well, <laughs> the same high school. Uh, there were kids who were wearing blackface at a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Also, it turns and out not to be true. Turns out that they they sometimes will paint their faces white it's and not, wear all not, white. Not just some, their faces. Yeah. Entire, Entire bodies yeah. painted black, not wearing T-shirts yes. yeah. because it was blackout night blackout at the school. Night. And, and yeah. the picture was from 2012. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, not, it's, so it's, it's not these kids. It's yeah. not 2015. Kids. But it's still not these kids and not the same era. And, and not blackface. And not blackface. <laughs> no. it is, I think this was on the cover of the New York uh, Daily News. New York Daily yes. News, yes. Yeah. 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 It's a really, so, so it's really high standard yeah. when we're attacking children. <laughs> it's like we really have to keep these journalistic standards high when we're going after idiot high school Meanwhile, like, let's 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 table or put put aside which is the same thing um uh, <laughs> you know saying that uh this activity obviously equals racism because he's wearing a hat i mean i had so many people uh say i was on msnbc talking about this today i got 500 tweets calling me a racist today it's amazing uh-huh. i've never uh-huh. seen anything like it and it was like partly it's my privilege my white supremacy my my uh, maga loving uh, pro-trump conservatism uh blinds me to understand that wearing a hat definitely is racist the maga hat is the same as the clan hood so let's yeah which they this say is so the new the brown shirt. let's even put that aside mm-hmm. right that's just a weird judgment let's agree to disagree but let's talk about the facts that you got wrong, which is that these people went over to menace a group of Native Americans. That's not what happened. That these people were there with their MAGA hats trying to disrupt the Women's March. That's not what happened. Or you the see, Indigenous People's March. Or they did, that's also not, also what, not happened. what happened. Over yeah. and over and over again, the, the basic descriptions from the people, including a hell of a lot of people, a lot of people, who deleted their tweets. Yeah. Just deleted it, like, whoop, whoop. This, this is a, I don't need to mention it. There's right? a huge We're danger. Good? There's okay, a huge cool. danger in uh, both uh, journalism by viral video and journalism by aggregation, because a lot of people w- once this went up on one quote unquote reasonable source, it was aggregated everywhere as fact before anyone checked into anything, including did they actually say build the wall? Did they actually confront this guy, or did this guy come over to them beating the drum? And obviously, there were there were more things about Nathan Phillips that came out today. Um, the Washington Post issued a correction that uh, for the last several days he's been referred to as a Vietnam veteran. He's did not deploy to Vietnam. He supposedly can. can um, I, I just two things about this. First, I want to say um, I have to unfavor this now. Unlike this, I do, I did I do the same thing. I liked a Dan Savage tweet because I saw the video and I was like, that's fucking gross. And I, I, I'm as guilty as everybody else. Yeah. But I did. I will say that there is one person who wasn't that. And it's not a person motivated by MAGA and not these, you know, they, they sort of circle the wagon. I shouldn't say that in this context. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> they get together and have an opinion based on their their mutual love and respect of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Camille Foster doesn't have that, but did say sure. the first day, right when this texted, and I think it was a text chain that, was that all you guys were on, yeah. uh, was that something doesn't smell right about this. And that's the right instinct. Mm. And I kind of have that too. I just was not paying attention and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's ugly. And I and I did think so. I was wrong about that. Camille was right. The other thing is that yesterday, I texted Camille. I don't know. Like, where's it all? Was all this um, about this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and said something about this guy. Yeah. And what I said is, there's little to no chance that he served in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was just doing the math on it. And apparently, other people were kind of looking into this. Uh-huh. I'm a Vietnam Times veteran, and and I know that 
mentality. By the way, he doesn't correct anyone uh-huh. in the intros to these things, like Vietnam vet. Like, if someone said that about me, it was like Michael Morgan, Iraq war vet. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll, I'll start. I'll answer your question. But first, I want you to know I'm a coward. And I've never been near the desert. And he is also, I saw an interview a surface of him from uh, more than 10 years ago, where he talked about coming back and having the people spit at him at the airports. Oh, wow. Oh, it's, that did he really? Oh, wait, he said that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a great I mean, myth. he told, he told yeah. a number of lies. I mean, his his entire narrative was evolving throughout the course of this story being a, a major issue. At Initially, the very first version of the uh, of the story seemed to be that these children were attacking yeah. a group of black men. And he, Elderly black men, I think and, you said. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and he yeah. inserted himself yeah. between these black men and these this group of unruly children. Um, and in fact, in one of the very first the, videos I saw of him, out. he's like weeping. Yeah, he's weeping, talking yeah. about build the wall. Shocked and when he's, from, but, but, and when uh, he's yeah. talking about building yeah. the wall, the reason it hurts him, the reason it wounds him so much is because this is our land and it's indigenous land and it's not supposed to be walled off. And the tears are rolling. Can, can what were you thinking when this was happening to you, when they surrounded you, yeah. quote unquote? I'm using air quotes here. I was thinking about my dead wife. Are you kidding? Was she killed in Vietnam? <laughs> almost, almost certainly. Um, can, I, can I ask a question quickly? Um, and, and I don't want to, I mean, yeah, of course, I'll take my victory lap here. But the reason I was immediately skeptical of this thing is because everywhere I looked initially, all I kept seeing was this 30 or 40 second clip of the kid just staring this guy down. Yeah. And I said, this just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like what happens before this? What is happening around it? Yeah, there's a kid doing a tomahawk chalk. Like one of them is doing a tomahawk chalk yeah. behind him. There's like 60 kids. It's not like all of them are doing it. What are they doing there? Why are they, why are they still on the mall? And is, are they disrupting the indigenous people's march? No one was actually providing this context. It's just headlines that presume a great many things. Yeah. The fact that his stories changed uh-huh. were obvious. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that makes me shake my damn head on this is that, so Robbie Suave, uh, for a reason, um, on our Slack channel says, hey, there's a lot of competing claims about this stuff. So I'm going to look into it and try to see if it, we were able to figure out what, what went on here. And there was no sense of like, I think it's this direction. I think I got I got you. It's just like, what, what the hell happened? Yeah. So he watched all of the available video mm-hmm. and consumed all the available journalism <clears throat> and wrote a piece and said, you know what? The dominant narrative here seems way off. And these kids are owed, owed an apology. It gets like more than a million page views, like huge thing. People are, are retweeting it, sending it around. Why did it take and tell? Robbie Suave did this? How many journalists passed around this this information? He didn't have any special insight. He wasn't there. He didn't like pick up a phone and call a half a dozen people there. What he did was the the sort of basic what's publicly available, how can we talk about this? And and then because his work, regardless of whether you agree even with the conclusions in that particular post or with Robbie generally speaking, he has a reputation of someone who, you know, tries to figure out what's true and and it has an honest approach to it. Um boy, that sounds like I don't know, a, a recipe to do journalism in yeah. life. Yeah. And why was he the only person to do it? It wasn't even like in the first six hours of this thing or even 16 hours of this thing. It's amazing to me. And the fact that this this guy had, was telling uh, contradictory stories was baked in from the beginning. Like uh, Moynihan was sending around an interview he did with uh, Steve Inskeep at NPR. Yeah. He didn't make any sense. No. He just absolutely, it's seven and a half minutes long. It's like, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. And by about. the way, Steve Inskeep was actually kind of 
tough on him. No, I can't remember what I what I what did I point out specifically about it. I, it was just I mean it was the, it was the story weird. was floating all around it and was and, weird and Inskeep kept trying to get him. So if the if the basis of your story like the worst things that you hear happened are uh, either in the description of the original <laughs> YouTube uh, clip by some tweeter in Brazil, mm-hmm. Twitter in Brazil, um, and then this narrator and this narrator is unreliable. It was a t- the Twitter is a picture. Of somebody who was a blogger in Brazil, mm-hmm. and I think it was uh, a U.S.-based account. They've suspended the account. Yeah, it's gone. The person who actually created this whole storm has actually been suspended, which is kind of and interesting. Well, the description <laughs> the person put was just, it's not how it happened well, at in, all. Well, in fairness, the people who created this entire Russia. storm are major <laughs> media journalists. Of course. The people at these huge publications who should have scrutinized the clip they were getting. You get a 40-second clip. You get the 30-second clip from the Starbucks of the black guys being asked to leave. You ought to want to see the rest of what happened here. You ought to want to know the rest of what went on here. People don't ask questions they're not inclined to. And I, I used the, the phrase pleasure center earlier. It was from a, a David Brooks tweet this morning uh, for act, an actually very good piece that he wrote. That's like two, um, about, two weeks from about Brooks. all of this. About call out cultural writing, yeah. writing two very good pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm getting old. But I think the myths here are, you know, what bothered me. I, is the stuff is allowed to just because it fits it too well. Yeah. I don't care, by the way, if this guy who's this Native American guy pounding the drum, um, I don't care if he served in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with anything? Sure. Honestly, it's it, it bugs me if, you know, if it would it be. Would it be more important or less important or about the same if he served in Grenada? Sure. If he ambled onto the beach in Grenada and was like, hey, how's it well, going? Well, you're, you're injecting you know, the soil with more pathos. Yeah, though. I mean, it's. Yeah. It, but the thing about it is, and when he says that, apparently, I haven't seen this, and I'm trusting Matt on this, that he said that he had been spat upon. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it, we have no documented evidence of that. happening to anybody. No, and there's a fantastic book, which I, and no one has ever read because it's published by probably the guy who wrote it, a Vietnam veteran named Gary Kulik, wrote a book called War Stories. And I wrote it for a reason, actually. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's a terrific book about Vietnam War <laughs> myths. I'm sorry, Vietnam War era myths. Vietnam Times. <laughs> Vietnam, yeah, the ti- Vietnam <laughs> Times. It sounds like a newspaper. And, it, it, you know, it's a great book about how this stuff propagates. And, you know, I think that we've, we've replaced in this country so many of the founding myths, which, you know, people have made millions of dollars on debunking lies, my teacher told me, Howard's in books selling by the pallet load, with new myths, right? As was somebody in California, lovely guy, and he was listening to a, a podcast. A podcast um, that was from the BBC, and it was the Reuben Hurricane Carter tapes. Oh boy! Oh. And I said, "Yeah, I'm a bit heterodox on this one. <laughs> I think that Reuben Carter was probably guilty." And so I told him about—I don't know if I ever mentioned this—but I told him that I had a book idea a long time ago, just called "Guilty," and it was <laughs> yeah, about all that. of the people yeah. that were spelled like Leonard Peltier, guilty, Mumia, totally guilty, Sacco and Benzetti, <laughs> probably both guilty, definitely one guilty, the Rosenbergs, guilty, Alger Hiss, guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep going. Oh, like Ruben Carter, yeah, probably guilty, but OJ, uh, uh, totally <laughs> debatable, debatable, yeah. debatable. But that's at a minimum. The, that's the thing. All of that stuff, all of those are political cases, every single one of them, that serve a counter myth 
in there in the Howard Zinn books, the Sacco and Vanzetti, the Rosenbergs being railroaded. None of that stuff is true, right? Can I, I mean, it, 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 Rosenbergs isn't even debatable anymore. But so that stuff I find pretty interesting that we're talking about these myths this guy's creating on the spot where he's indulging in these myths that are out there in the ether that everyone plucks out of the sky and uses for their own advantage. And you Can asked you asked why people bring it up. I'll be very quick. Uh, uh-huh. Like, uh, why do they carry his Vietnam bet? Because that allows him to say, I'm going to believe the Native American elder Vietnam vet over some smirky 17-year-old douchebag. I saw that tweet a bunch of times. I saw that a thousand times. Well, can I ask a question about the— All done with the psycho Vietnam vet is gone, (laughs) isn't it? I want to ask a question about—well, two two related questions. Um, First, has anyone seen a a high-profile example of a major media story that is retracted that leaned in the direction of making MAGA supporters happy? Has anyone seen that? Because because and I've talked about it before. We've talked about it before. Glenn Greenwald had a piece um, over at the Intercept where he talked about like the ten worst, most embarrassing U.S. media failures on the Trump Russia story. And I mean, there really are some whoppers there. The the Vermont grid is my. Oh favorite. yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> Vermont. Not, I mean, there's so yeah. many. Guy so many. Guy unplugged stories. the computer by mistake. Mm-hmm. The major media. I think that's it depends on that meaning, right? So like, if you count uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, opinion page mm-hmm. and you count Fox News, sure, I'll take the those. answer to that is yes. There's been yeah. a lot. They've I mean, every every single time. Remember the uh, the 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 secret uh, the insurance policy plot between uh, the Peter Strzok and Lisa, whatever the hell her name is. Uh, it was based on a single. They, they got their text messages between each other, That's right. and one of the text messages said something like, "Oh, we need an insurance policy." This uh, became yeah. two or three days with like major politicians, Mark Meadows, and like they were, this is this is the single. Smoking I think gun. Seb Gorka yeah. said this is the single biggest uh, 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 scandal since the Revolutionary War or something uh-huh. from the uh-huh. single biggest Hungarian douchebag <laughs> since who and it took like it took like 48 hours to have it revealed that like no this is not at all what it was referring to and then that crowd just moved on but because it's not the New York Times and Washington Post um, that it's more segregated over into the right-wing journalistic echo chamber we don't include that and not and that doesn't fit our narrative of well, the media against Trump well no it actually it fits my narrative perfectly well which is <laughs> that people do in fact have biases and when they are making their errors in many cases, they tend to make the errors in the direction of their bias. It's things that they want to believe, in which case the Wall Street Journal and Fox News, which tend to lean fairly conservative, I think anyone would suggest that, would, would acknowledge that that's true, uh, tend the, to make particular uh, categories I would, of errors. I wouldn't say that, just to be clear, I wouldn't uh-huh. say that about the journal on its actual reporting. Yes. Okay. And it it's has fair. been shown in the past that they actually trend slightly more liberal than the Washington Post, and there's the presumption by the people who did the study that's fair too. that it's sure. Because they're trying, they're just normal reporters and trying they, to compensate for the editorial. Yeah, page. they led on all story down Daniel's related stories. Yeah, that was the journal that broke all those. Also, and true. I mean, in fairness, they they had Jerry Baker running the show, who's a very conservative guy, and they got rid of him. So Jerry Baker's gone, and I can't remember who's running the show yeah. there now. But but you know, it is definitely the editorial. But page. speaking to your point, Camille, I think there's just a gigantic incentive structure out there. Sure, that's the thing, and and uh, and this is something that critics and people who make themselves irritating in their criticism, like Michael Tracy, who's been on the show, and Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> They just con- I mean, every single time something goes uh, goes wrong, they they publish their list of ten things that go wrong. Mm-hmm. They make 
a point to the point that it's that it that it's grading, but there's a lot of truth behind it, which is that you know you you can't go wrong really um, uh, by jumping on this uh, 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 claiming maximal importance to whatever the the latest story is. There's a whole system ready to believe all of it and to throw in some cases money at it. You know if if you're clever enough and you're like Jill Stein and saying like, let me uh, fund my recount or whatever. There's a, there's a racket out there for this this crap. <laughs> fund my recount is like my new website. Didn't you uh, Fisher mention uh, during the conversation we had with Brian Stelter? Brian mentioned something about how folks really can't understand, they can't appreciate just how much as you know a journalist, someone who's out in public having a perspective on things, it sucks mm-hmm. to be proven wrong in in a high profile way. He talked about having like kind of like almost like high school recurring nightmares sure. about screwing up and having his editor call him. And I think that's probably true for individual journalists. And it's not as though folks haven't suffered consequences for this. But with respect to these particular kinds of stories, I don't know how many of them you would have to get wrong if you're the New York Times or the Washington Post to lose some of the credibility that you have and to have your readers start to doubt you. Because uh, you lose your job, though. I mean, you, look you at might, this, you look might, at the CNN scandal with the Scaramucci, yeah, uh, Russell thing. I mean, those are three yeah. people. One of whom has a Pulitzer Prize, yeah, Thomas yeah. Frank, and there's Eric Litblow, and the other one I don't remember his name. But they 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 were fired yeah. for that story. And it a few people, one story. This has happened to a few people. But I mean, to be first on these big stories, the eagerness to be out there so that you can grab the clicks, the fact that you get the clicks, whether or not you were right or wrong, and this is pretty good for you guys. I, I don't know. I mean, is, isn't that something that is working in direct conflict with whatever other incentive structure exists for you not to publish things that aren't true? I, look, it's I think that Brian was right about that. And I think generally that's true. I mean, I I always I always am amused by college. It's always college students. I hate college students. <laughs> and I come across them and they're like, you know, the drug companies, man, they're just like they don't want their trials. It's like, no, they don't want Vioxx. Because they go out of business when they give you pills that blow up your face yeah. and kill you, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think this, this very basic concept, the very same thing is true of journalism, is that, you know, I, I think Ben's, Ben Smith is having a lot of sleepless nights that this story is going to blow up. And he, especially because he's put his credibility on the line by going out there and doubling down on it and saying... This is the, we're sticking with their reporting and we have we have faith in our reporters. But, you know, there I mean, look at the black eye that the New York Times took because of Judy Miller. Mm-hmm. I mean, that like people's people Still know Judy Miller's that. name. Yeah. She had more bylines than other people. Do people remember Barbara Crosette, who wrote, wrote a similar similar stories? And uh, guess who else? The fucking idiot Chris Hedges, that plagiarist more on Chris Hedges, was writing cover stories about WMDs in Iraq, too. But Judy Miller, by the mm-hmm. way, who's the right wing one and mm-hmm. uh, went to work at the Manhattan Institute, is the one we all remember. We remember that she did this. And I guess people of a certain vintage won't remember it. But th- that really, really scarred. New York Times in the same way that like the WND reporting on the CIA of I mean, intelligence community, you cannot say anything. Oh, the intelligence community that told us that there were WMDs. These big ones really, really tail you forever. And the, the thing that gets me is that is right now <clears throat> and living through the Covington thing is that the little ones aren't even causing people to flinch for a half a second. Uh, it's the doubling down. Clara Jeffrey, who I've uh, heretofore had a lot of respect for. She's the editor in chief of Mother Jones. They do good work. If I disagree with a bunch of their conclusions. Um, 
uh, she's has been on an absolute jihad about the Covington story. Of course, this kid is racist. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I, you know, I've, I've lost respect for all these people who got suckered in by a PR company and all of these uh, uh, kinds of what things. What is with that? People keep bringing up the PR company. So, so the kids, fan, the, the kid Nick, they had Sanders. crisis management, so they used a crisis management. Yeah, they hired a PR company to craft the statement to make sure that the legalese was hit, and that's supposedly evidence of wrongdoing somehow. As that, evidence of having clever parents. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess. I guess the, I guess the uh, the indictment is that oh of course the the white private school kid can afford a PR firm mm-hmm. but I don't see how the, the actual act of well, hiring it, a PR firm. Well, is. the other thing I think that's probably seventy five percent. But the other twenty five percent I would say is that if you ever settle, um, this is true in the media world, and this is I've seen this with people in a lot of places in mm-hmm. Me mm-hmm. Too stuff. If you settle to make something go away, yeah. you're guilty. Mm-hmm. And so the more I you pay, the more guilty you yeah, are. Yeah. I had a journalist say of some um, thing that that I was looking into. Well, you know, the, the counter evidence that this person's presented is compelling, but they settled, so therefore they're guilty. <laughs> That's I'm like, not no, how no, that no, works. no. How it works is they're saying back in the day where where um, NDAs actually meant something. Non-disclosures, you actually had to abide by them. That you wouldn't get your money if you if if you if you didn't. That they would say, okay, I won't say anything about it. And PR problem gone. Cost us two hundred thousand dollars. We're worth a couple million or whatever it might be. That that's a, the other part is that when you get the PR crisis people, it's like that guy's guilty. Mm-hmm. He, if he if he if he didn't, you know, it's the same as the like you know you don't. If, why do you care about the NSA snooping your email if you don't have something to hide, right? Right. It's like if this kid does some didn't have, didn't do anything. If he's not a racist, why is he hiring? these professionals to spin it yeah and it's like well because you guys are all psychopaths <laughs> and you're tearing him down and he's fucking 15 that's the only thing that bothers me about that's the only thing but it's the thing that really bothers me about this because i want everybody especially boys because boys and girls at this age are rather different and boys are f- far more sinister i think girls are more manipulative <laughs> but, <laughs> but sinister <laughs> ugly oafish boorish you know knuckle dragging boys all think of you I'll think of yourself because all I hear is this fucking cacophony of journalists going, yeah, I was a real nerd back then. So I don't really, it's like, okay, fine. Just step out of the conversation, please. Yeah. You know, the people out there who were 15 and you were like broing out with other bros and trying to impress people. And like, it's dumb and it's embarrassing. And I see those kids and I'm just like kids being stupid. And I don't, I don't want to have their faces smashed in like Reza Aslan. I mean, what an embarrassment. It, and it's also just the p- proportionality of it. I mean, people are the the fact that we're on day four of, of talking about um, what is behind this smirk um, is mm. is just a, astonishingly disproportionate. There's no way about it. And people are right at this point so invested in it and uh, <laughs> and invested in being able to identify you as being on the bad team if you don't immediately agree with all this shit. Um, and, and it's leading to journalists. This my So this is my somebody that wrote this that I'm doing preemptively. Um, <laughs> Uh, someone uh, who has written for The Guardian, I think she's written for reason in the past, uh, who's written about sex work, Melissa Gira Grant, uh, came came out here after uh, Robbie's story had hit and made a splash. And this is her, this is a journalist on Twitter. I refuse to read it, but... <laughs> I mean, that's great. She's, she's seen all she needs to see. I refuse yeah. to read it, but from what I have read... Reason has found in a MAGA teen video their own Zapruder film, but for, quote-unquote, disproving white supremacy. Wow. 
By the way, just as a note, because I've seen this a lot, the Zapruder film is actually pretty helpful in, <laughs> in, in showing the president get shot in the head. Because, you know, it's pretty helpful. It's in, actually like, a vital piece yeah, of evidence. Yeah, it's a vital yeah. piece of evidence. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to thank Mr. Zapruder for shooting that film and um, actually proving that Lee Harvey Oswald was, was the only gunman. One, one important point to, to talk about Clara Jeffrey, because this is just only a few hours ago, she, she asked, can we just talk about the fact that the boys' quote-unquote defense is that they were chanting school cheers at other protesters and that those included tomahawk chops? I saw this video... I saw a couple of kids do tomahawk chops briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably not something that's advisable or, or kind to do in the face of a Native American man. But just yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs were playing in the AFC Championship <laughs> yeah. game, yeah. and 80,000 people were doing the tomahawk yeah, chalk. Yeah, now, yeah. I mean, I know people would say that the tomahawk chops and Native American nicknames uh, and professional sports teams are, are bad, but... There's been a clearly, tremendous amount of polling on this clearly, question. Clearly, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but, but again, this polling is... Polling suggests that Native Americans don't actually give a shit. Yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> but, but, if, but, if, but if Clara Jeffrey is going to make it an issue, clearly it might be a more systemic thing than just Covington... Catholic high school. Yeah. Well, that's, it, it, I think that's her point though, isn't it? That that's, that's the, the well, point that you're, that you just uh, highlighted, Matt, is that this incident is supposed to be further evidence of the pernicious, overwhelming, never ending continuum of white supremacy. Yes. You can see the depth of it because these young boys are there. What, what is it? I, this is an honest question. Uh. What does it have to do with race beyond the MAGA hats. Well, it, I guess that that's the black the Hebrew thing. Israelites. Well, uh, yeah, no, 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 racist stuff. we haven't yeah. even gotten to that. Though. <laughs> the, actually, the only people I who were there guys. actually screaming words like nigger wait, wait, yeah, and yeah. faggot. Dude, if you it's don't, them. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> if you don't know who those guys are, you do not get to comment on this because I've been following those motherfuckers for years and they used to stand at, in, in Times Square and then they were in Union Square still, and still they do. dressed like, yeah. like Grandmaster Flash's like mentally ill uncle. They've also had a public uncle. access show for as long as I can remember. I used yeah. to watch it when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, it's great. Wow. Of course yeah, you did. They're the yeah. real Jews. Yeah, and the guy would have a chain and say at the end of every show, he'd go, you're, you're going back into captivity. That's yeah. how he closed every <laughs> show. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, it's so. It's they so, go, put y'all back in chains. Uh, a friend of mine uh, today, a uh, black guy told me who lives, uh, I think it was in the Bronx. And he was telling me, he's like, this is funny. But he told me this great story about, he's like, you know, it's, this white guy, <laughs> this white guy in the bus, a black Israelite. There's a guy in there and he's playing trumpet on the bus. And if you've been on the New York City bus, you know, these <laughs> things are fucking crazy, right? He's just playing a, and he's a blue trumpet. And he's like playing this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And he stops playing the trumpet. And then he just starts talking about white people. And he's like, man, white people, we got to get them back. And he's a black Israelite. He's a uh, black Hebrew Israelite. Uh, and he's going, and then he starts playing the trumpet again. And every, <laughs> New York, everyone just fucking looks ahead. Yeah. No one says a thing. And guys, and then, and then he keeps going. And my friend told me that, and, he, and he's like, yo, then this white motherfucker just turns around. And he's like, you know what? I've had it. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> oh come God. on, man. Don't talk to Don't. the guy. Don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. him. And it's like everyone on the bus is black. They're like, come on, dude. Don't talk to him. (laughs) And that's the thing about these guys. Don't talk to him. I don't don't know if you remember this. Anthony will probably remember this. He's kind of our our in-house New York historian. (laughs) Do you remember when the, the, um, it wasn't the five, but it was the the black Israelites, killed the tourists in Times Square? I don't remember that. I think it was from Texas or something. Because he engaged with them. Yeah. Like, you walk by, and these guys are like, you know, literally wearing a fucking space suit. He looks like (laughs) Bootsy Collins. And he's like, hey, white man, you don't know my white man. And the guy turned around, he's like, like, I'll tell you something. (laughs) And the guy punched him and killed him. 
This was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Wow. Uh, but you might be able to find some reference to it. I think I'm fairly certain it was in Times Square, and he was punched and, uh, and, and died. And this is all you need to know about these people. Do not engage with them. They are the type of people, you know, I'll give you an example. They're the type of people that do, is like an example you might have heard of, that yell at 15 year olds <laughs> and, 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 and call them and literally say call them that faggots. They're going to steal your organs to the one black guy who was with them. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The devil's going to steal your organs. Get out, nigga. Get that, out. That's, that's what they were screaming. Really? Like, yeah. He said, like the movie. Get out, oh, nigga. Oh, really? And the kids, <laughs> by, by the descriptions written up, the kids then went to their black friend and like just sort of like hugged him and well, said Well, they were okay. yelling, like, we yeah. love you. The reason they started doing their school chants was because they were being berated by these guys. And if you watch them do their school chants, one of the, the pudgier members of the group jumps in front of them, turns to his crew, removes his shirt. It's very cold. Mm -hmm. I think it's like two degrees. Removes his shirt and proceeds to lead a cheer about their school. That was their response to being called all Shaking sorts of my damn gross names. At that white there's, something, there's something kind of adorable about that but it was but, eh. if i didn't express an opinion about this whole incident all weekend and and only uh, uh barely on tv because they asked me to today this this late this morning and just in um you know tweeting out to melissa gear grant like that's just an amazingly bizarre thing for a journalist to say yeah that you know i refuse to read it but i'm going to completely mischaracterize it and also use quotes uh for something that's not quoted within uh right um so just for saying that and having that tweet get uh, thrown around and then people come back at me i was called a white supremacist i was uh, uh i was talking about, about my privilege uh the maga this and and i mean lots of it and this is before the 500 tweets i get today it's amazing to me and the point that I had made on, I tried to make on television and what really infuriated them is I quoted Martin Luther King doing that. And you just can't do that in that direction uh, from the letter from Birmingham jail about, about, you know, steps two and step three in your preparation for civil disobedience is uh, self-purification and a collection of the facts. This is something that's stuck with me since I've been nine years old. Uh, I think it's a really marvelous American idea of like, basically get your shit together before you make an accusation and then you'll be a lot more persuasive. It informs the way that I think about journalism, about civic affairs. And, uh, the, and, and all I was arguing mostly on the show was that we've lost our damn full minds uh, in this country in the last four days. And I think that's inarguable. Y'all, uh, not uh, me. Uh, but also that if we're going to be throwing around, and I hate to sound like Camille Foster, but if mm. we're going to be throwing around dire accusations of racism, you might want to have at least a minimum evidentiary threshold. And so in response to that point, people are like, yeah, you know, you, you, you are, you're, you might, you probably have a MAGA hat in, in your closet. And you know, this is, this is exactly what Hitler did with the camps. In, in <laughs> it's like, you got you a, a Hitler reference. I did. No, uh, it's because I said that I, I pointed out that Trump was not at the rally because the, the moveon.org uh, gal that was on was asked about the whole thing and she turned it to, well, you know, Trump, it's just what he's done to America and we've really got to push back and all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, you know, Trump wasn't at the rally. The hat was at the rally. It's about us. It's about how we all re react to, e to each other. And then someone on Twitter is like, yeah, Trump wasn't at the rally, just like her Hitler wasn't at Birkenau. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. More fundamentally, really though, you're, my mind right you're white. So you're yeah. not allowed to decide what is racist and what isn't. That you has been made explicit. <laughs> I've yes. heard that over and over but again. But Camille, as no a black man who's not a black man, is Matt racist? You get to decide. <laughs> I, I am the arbiter of racism well, because I say so. I mean, and, I, and the answer is absolutely. What would I have to it, do to convince Camille that, uh, that I, I was racist? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've already done it, Matt. Yeah, yeah. You woke up this morning, I, man. I, I think that... Um, 
I think that the the I, I hate is the thing I hate about today mm. is the fact that you have to be on the side of defending the kind of MAGA drones from stilly attacks, and I don't want to defend them, you know, because yeah. it's just like it's so exhausting. Because everyone's like, "Well, I heard you're like a," tr-. I mean, like I couldn't like this guy any less. And if you've listened to this podcast over time, you know that. Uh-huh. But the second you say like, "Look, these kids in the MAGA," just because they're wearing a MAGA hat doesn't mean. And then the next thing you know, you spend all of your time responding to people saying, "Do the throat clearing stuff." It's like, no, 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 I still hate him, but, 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 you know, you don't like. It, it's just like you don't want Trump defending you. I thought about Robbie Suave reason going on and being Trump tweeting about him and it's like throwing a life life preserver made of stone to a drowning man. Yeah. It's just like, oh, great, thanks. Oh, I'm going down now. On Tucker Carlson. On Tucker Carlson. Yeah. And I'll give you a great example of this. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening in Venezuela uh, in the past couple of days. Or John McAfee. Um, <laughs> is he really? Oh, God. He's on the lamb, but go on. That's, oh, dear God. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I think I've mentioned this. I'm in this group of uh, Venezuelan dissidents on WhatsApp, and there's getting, I just got two audio files. I don't know what this, because there's a lot of protests going on tonight. But um, the, the thing about this is if you turn on BTB, the Venezuelan propaganda channel, and good God, is it a, 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 an aggressive propaganda channel, they have playing just in an infinite loop that Donald Trump comment. The one that says, like, you know, maybe there's a military solution. Maybe oh, there's right, a, right. And it's like, you know, oh, watch what Donald Trump does, not what he says. In places like Venezuela, what, I, I'm transitioning here in a way because it's like defending him and the things that he says. And like, Jesus, I, I you know, he's a disaster in every way. Like, I just noticed this because of this Venezuela stuff is that everyone is saying uh, from the government side and they, they are fairly convincing because before Hugo Chavez used to say, oh, you know, it's the, it's the imperialists up north and they're going to do all this stuff and he just you know he's riffing now they just have to play this clip of trump saying yeah no we might use the military and everyone's like it makes it so much harder for venezuelans to overthrow that shitbag government which is something that actually hasn't been uh, played nearly enough in america because trump has been on some levels much more skeptical about interventionism abroad and hmm. and nation building he's been talking now, about mike pence just said, i think said the same something very similar polling but but in if you look closely at all of trump's big uh, major uh, foreign policy speeches he always has the cuba venezuela uh, clause he has a Monroe Doctrine feeling. He's like, yeah, yeah Russia should take care of its own interest, and you know, Balt- Baltics can go fuck themselves. Um, but, uh, Cuba's our Ukraine. But yeah. Cuba's our Ukraine yeah. and, and Venezuela, and it's a lot more like open and reckless uh, there, and I'm, I'm legitimately uh, worried about that as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. If it's, it's VTV... I uh, can search that dot go dot whatever dot vz. Uh, th- but go, they have a in vivo stream, and watch Venezuelan state TV, and it's astonishing because it's. I mean, they don't even screw around. They just it's straight up propaganda. But also, just see if you see if you see that Trump clip because you'll see it, and, and they play it nonstop, and they you can see it around Caracas, and they made posters and all this stuff, and it's just the president when you say, well, he's just talking a lot of shit but just hmm. see what he does and not you know he play he calls him rocket man but then he talks it well in a democratic country we have a democratic opposition that has already overthrown the president and he was reinstated 47 hours i think later and then had massive street protests where people were getting shot and killed and they go on television every day saying these people paid by the cia and the opposition political leaders are instruments of the u.s government it makes it very hard for them and I think that all of them wish that he would just shut his fucking mouth. And they don't want his words of encouragement right now because the words of encouragement just mean that they're on the payroll of the Yankees and they just don't need it. So I, the other, other point being is that, you know, something might happen in the next 
couple days there because I think that you actually have a point where a country reaches um, the, the sort of no turning back. But I, three million I mean, people have left kind, the country. Kind of, that's 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 three amazing. million people. And the other thing I wanted to mention about this, I want to shoehorn Venezuela in here because to have an immigration brief immigration conversation hmm. because. I have made this comment, and I, I, I don't see it talked about enough, is that anytime there's immigration, people don't like it. doesn't matter what country you're in. We've talked about this on the show before. Is that a great example of that recently in the United States, you know, build a wall, a MAGA cap. Uh-huh, it's it's uh-huh, pretty uh-huh. mild compared to what happens in the rest of the world. If you see Rohingya walking into India and being beaten, um, or Pakistan, the same thing. Um, see what's happening to Venezuelans in Ecuador. Um, encouraged, I believe, by Lenin Moreno, the president. But there was a um, attack, riots attacking Venezuelan refugees in Ecuador, I think two days ago, where they were set upon by, by, by uh, Ecuadorians. Hmm. And that's how they deal with it. The same thing, we've seen the same thing in Tijuana. All around, all around the world. All around yeah. Venezuela. Uh, the ring around Venezuela uh, yeah, is filled with people. Because the, the people Brazil, who are coming but, but, are poor and they're violent. Yeah, so, so, so they're, being, <laughs> they're being beaten up and, and penned in in Brazil and Colombia and Ecuador. And it's, you know, and you can't, bl- those people actually have a country where there's no food in the shelves. Nothing. And dirt poor. And it's the most violent place on earth. And they have a good claim to asylum and nobody wants them. Matt, nobody wants them. It's not an American problem. Matt, a moment ago, and I don't want to emphasize this too much, but I want to give you an opportunity to clarify. You said the people who are coming are poor and violent. Yeah. They're coming from a violent place. It certainly doesn't mean that everyone who's coming from there is violent. They're um, poor and they're desperate. Yeah, I, uh, that's, uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're coming I, from a violent place, I, I make the presumption that you're going to be more violent than well, the interpretation, average. The interpretation from people in the country that they're headed to is most certainly... My wife, my wife was down, uh, and I'm going to screw this up, so uh, that's your fault for asking me, but she uh-huh. was down um, at an island nearby, uh, not that far from Venezuela, mm-hmm. at a junket or a conference uh, not long ago, and that was the only issue in that country mm-hmm. was the people coming by boat from Venezuela and what they were was doing. Was she in Curacao? That's it, Curacao. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so uh, what that is doing to local crime um, because uh, they're, I mean, the poor immigrants everywhere are going to like do whatever they can to get by. Um, and, uh, and and I'm sure people <clears throat> are <clears throat> exaggerating their negative effect because that's what people do everywhere about uh, criminals. But that's, that colors my, uh, my comment. And to, to the point that I was previously making uh, less than an hour ago, this was just posted to the Venezuelan WhatsApp thread. Uh, Marco Rubio tweeted Sabine officials, which is the secret police in, in Venezuela should reconsider the plan they have for tomorrow before it's too late. Tomorrow is going to be massive protests. There's, um, uh, there's already stuff on this chain that I'm on about how to change your DNS addresses because they're uh, CNAT, which is the mm-hmm. Venezuelan internet company, state internet. They're they're shutting down. They're going to try to shut down the internet. And, wow. And the the DNS stuff. They're basically taking it offline. So I guess you could do it if you had a direct IP address to Google um, or, you know, everyone has VPNs there. But the second half of this tweet is you're about to cross a line and trigger a response that, believe me, you are not prepared to face. Whoa. You still have time to avoid this. That's Marco Rubio, less than an hour ago, um, straight up threatening the Maduro government and saying, you don't want to face, believe me, you have time to make the right decision. Marco Rubio is a senator from Florida. does not have the standing to, I know he speaks Spanish, this is actually in English. Um, he's been tweeting about, about um, Venezuela in Spanish too. 
Uh, tomorrow will be a very good and important day for democracy and constitutional order in Venezuela. But it, it, things are getting very, very bad. And I think that right now, according to some people I've talked to, is probably worse than it's been in a long time. There, there was an attempted attempted army coup three days ago, um, and it lasted a very short period of time. But that there's when you have army officers in a country like Venezuela who are convinced that they can create this ripple effect, and it was crushed pretty quickly. Nobody was killed. Nobody was no shooting yet. But they got it in this planning stages. But when you suspect that you can have people in barracks across the country, and Hugo Chavez's big thing was that he was he was a member of the military and tried to come to power in, 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 with a coup. Um, so they can't hate coups that much. But knowing that there are people that are going to support you, they got to Miraflores uh, when Chavez was was the they, they law. They drove armored vehicles up to it. But you think that they suspect people suspect that they is some real discontent in the army because they get the food first, by the way. You always, mm. feed, you always feed the army first, right? And even they're um, going hungry and without, without pay as much as they have been in the past. So I don't know what the hell's happening there, but I'm not allowed into Venezuela. We talked about going, but I was denied a visa uh, last time uh, because I have a Sabine file. <laughs> still, and the, the plan was, by the way, and they didn't allow this. I shouldn't be saying this, but but I would say that they, the people that I worked for wouldn't have allowed this, is that I found somebody in Venezuela that was willing to come pick me up in Curacao on a boat and who knew some, uh, um, he's a very connected guy, knew some uh, people on the uh, ports that would let us in for a little bit of money. And it's very easy to take private Venezuelan right now. I would uh, just point out that um, as crazy as the two years of Trump have been so far, there hasn't been a big crisis. <clears throat> no. There's like widespread crisis. There's all kinds of crazy policies. Bad things are happening. Individuals are getting trampled. People being separated. Blah, 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 blah. But like there hasn't been a big international crisis and there hasn't been a crash of the economy. That hasn't happened yet. And it's almost never in the history of any presidency where you don't get one, if not both. But he says there is a crisis. At the border. That's true. And he's lying. Yes. I mean, it, it, well, you say there haven't, hasn't been a crisis. I mean, there were certainly the attacks in Syria where the president felt it was necessary for him to launch a, a battery of That's tomahawks into the country. I mean, the, the, the reality that, that, well, I'm saying the fact that he did that under those circumstances, I mean, the possibility that something much closer to home, essentially, I guess, I'd have to measure the distance. But in either case, that something probably much closer to home um, could trigger some sort of response from the United States, some sort of military response. I mean, it's, it would be certainly not outside of the realm of possibility. Right. And and we haven't yet had to go. We're, we're having a hard enough time going through uh, peaceful protests on the <laughs> Lincoln Memorial. Uh, we haven't yet gone through in this divided moment a serious, oh, my God, what, what what's going to happen next mm -hmm. moment here. Um, and so I, I would worry about that, certainly. Uh, that's, yeah, that, I, that's I mean, sort I of thing usually brings us together, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder the critics are guided by the beauty. Of, of our weapons and mm. it, it doesn't take long it's gonna for bring it to bring Max Boot back. Brett, Brett Stevens America. is going to get on, probably, get on the board. Probably. But who's, I mean, we don't know who's running the show there, but when you have such a mixed um, staff at the White House and the National Security Council when you're hiring people from television mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand the difference between John Bolton and, you know, Michael Anton, right? If there is a material difference, I think there is. But, you know, he sees them on TV and they're good people and they're on Fox and they support me. And one is essentially a neoconservative and the other is a sort of wants a more restrained American foreign policy. If there is a point which it is so destabilized in Venezuela that there is an uprising. And this, I do worry about this beyond the fact that I care about Venezuela because I, I like the country and I like the people. It, it, what does happen 
if chaos reigns and there's an all-out battle on the streets, what does the White House do? They have, they're on record threatening military intervention and no one paid attention. I, I think I think they would do that. I, honestly, I worry that they would. I think that's what- That's that would be an utter disaster. And every we you would ha, you would the complete nutbags, Ava Gollingers of the world would be fortified in their belief that all the problems of Central South America mm-hmm, mm-hmm, are the mm-hmm. cause of the United States because they're intervening. Right. These dirty Yankees always. Um, I don't believe that to be true. I think we've been overly involved in many affairs in, in, in Latin America. Um, but now I don't believe that to be especially true. I really worry that they could do something dumb. Ava Gollinger wrote, who's blocked me on Twitter, I just noticed today, <laughs> wrote a book um, uh, after she had gotten some FOIA documents about the coup against Chavez. And it was like they gave some money to like the National Endowment for Democracy. And they spin entire books out of this. There's entire documentaries about it because of these do- very b- boring documents. Imagine what happens if, you know, the boots hit the ground. Yeah. There. I mean, this is not, I mean, the last time that's happened, this part of the world was, what, Grenada? Panama? Actually, officially. Panama. Oh, Panama. Panama. That's right. Nine, Haiti. 1989, Haiti, but that's kind 90, of different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was like, they just got off and got on their bellies after they got off the helicopter. Remember that? They're all lying on the tarmac doing this, and there's like people like pushing carts next to them. <laughs> yeah. Haitians funding magazines in Canada. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to ask a question about the Vietnam thing mm-hmm. um, and the your initial intuition mm-hmm. that that might have been fraudulent. You shared that mm-hmm. with someone at a major yeah. media organization, mm-hmm. and you shared it with me as well. And my first comment to you was, "Don't tweet that." The person at the major major media organization, who's a very well known person, yeah, uh, said, uh, "No way, I would. I, I, I think he thought I was right, and he said, no way, I'd do that. No way, I'd, I'd mention.' It. I'm not going to touch that. Uh-uh. I'm not going to touch it. I just want. I guess is what he said. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah, I, I, I want to retreat back to the to the point that I was making earlier about the direction of our missteps, the the broader theme that we're discussing earlier about the the things that we're likely to be curious about, the points at which we're likely to actually ask questions and investigate things. As you were pointing out, Matt, the reason why someone would invest the time or at least make it a point to mention his Vietnam service is to enhance the reputation and the perception of of this person's reputation as someone who ought to be trusted and believed in. They're a veteran. This is the sort of person that we thank for their service, and he's a Native American. He likes trees and such. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. I'm sorry. Yeah, Although, that's, that. I suppose that's not a bad stereotype. <laughs> no. Right? So I, yeah. uh, I stand by it, damn it. Yeah. Native Americans like trees more than most people. <laughs> like, the <laughs> fact that the fact that that's... What, is that bad? I don't know. Just keep going. Yeah, keep <laughs> In other words, don't keep going. Yeah. I'm sorry. But, but, that's, but that's one side of it. But on the other side... Like, The fact is that there are plenty of people at some of the most trusted media publications who do, in fact, have an inclination right now. That inclination is definitely not in favor of this White House and definitely not in favor of the political movement that's attached to it. And they're just unwilling to ask certain sorts of questions because what it might do to you reputationally. It's, you know, uh, you don't want to play the kind of uh, 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 switch sides kind of whataboutism too much in life. But, okay, so what happens if those two people were just switch, right? That it was, uh, 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 you know, the the person that you didn't like, it wasn't instead of a 17-year-old uh, kid or whatever, how old he is, mm-hmm. actually was 
uh, stereotypical, you know, 65 year old MAGA hat wearing guy uh, who said he went was in the Vietnam style veteran or whatever he was saying <laughs> about it. Do you think that that there'd be a similar reticence to touch that story? No. I mean, we saw a lot with Joe the plumber. I mean, people were just like getting all up inside of his. He's yeah, not a plumber. plumber he doesn't right. have a license. His name um, is Joe. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't uh, have a license. And this happens also. <laughs> He's it, an it, unlicensed plumber. It, it doesn't <laughs> always cut so neatly politically. Remember the woman who got shot uh, by the Dallas cop, I think it was? The, yeah, the cop shot in his own apartment uh, complex. Oh, yeah. oh, this, was, this was the woman in Baltimore. Yeah. No, the, no, female, no, the female cop who went into the wrong oh, apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, so and she shot the black gentleman um, in his apartment yeah. and suggested that he might have had drugs. And, right. And, and they, yeah. I think they did find, they found some residue. They did found some residue. But recall what was the reaction to that uh, that next day story revulsion like mm-hmm. you're obviously trying to smear the victim here right um, uh, and so that is the proper actual reaction uh, mm-hmm. to that because the, the main the main event was uh, was heinous and is inexcusable no matter what happened um, so yeah I think that there's probably a, a double standard in who we are willing to dox That's and how right. far sure. we're supposed to crawl up, up and it's not all people. politics yeah it's but, but to Camille's point um, because he was talking about a person in a major media organization didn't want to touch this. Um, I didn't either. I didn't want to tweet it because I mine was purely based on the fact that everyone on television was right. not doing their due diligence. And he said Vietnam, Vietnam era, whatever, in, in uh-huh. some interview. And then on all the Chirons, it said Vietnam veteran and introduced as Vietnam veteran, which incidentally, of course, he doesn't stop and correct them on. But um, so I just am thinking about this and I saw that he was 64 or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the Washington Post and just did a back of the envelope calculation and being a bit of a nerd about that period knew that it was around 71, mm-hmm, 72 mm-hmm. in which the last troops were actually deployed and it didn't make sense. And, and then I saw the weasel words. It didn't make sense. Why can't I point that out? Well, why do you think so, Camille? Because you said, don't do it. <laughs> don't well, do it. Well, it's funny because I, I... I'm so tired of not doing things. Yeah. I just don't... I don't, I don't say a lot of things. I mean... I, mean, I, th- I think there are people yeah. that get, you know, accolades and, and, and get pats on the back and they, you know, carry on up their careers saying fucking insane things. Yeah. Like, you know, this is the face of white supremacy and it's a 15 year old kid. Right. Well, and that's like, that's the sort of insane thing. Yeah. Let's punch yeah. this guy, whatever. Yeah. You know, again, regardless of what he said, I don't even care if that was the only angled video and that <laughs> provided all the context. I don't recommend punching juniors in high school yeah. because they have bad manners and bad behavior if they were had bad manners and bad behavior at a high school basketball game and one of the ki- parents kids punch them they go to jail and people would b- b- be revulsion right but you can keep going in your journalism career saying things like that getting things wrong you know accusing people of all manner of things in which they they shouldn't be credibly accused of and i'm like i don't know if i should say that about the guy who clearly didn't go to vietnam saying- because i know that what matt said today on msnbc as he described seems eminently reasonable and, and totally. then he has spends the entire day fending off or turning his phone off to people on Twitter calling him a white supremacist. <laughs> well I have a as I've talked to my so mel- my melanin force field it makes it a little more difficult for them to 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 plaster me with that particular allegation that I'm defending white supremacy. What you're I just do get defending Tom well, that's right? just it. What yeah. I get instead is you're an Uncle Tom and it must be great to go out there and coon for all the big bucks that it earns you. It, it 
doesn't earn me nearly as much hmm. um, to have my heterodox perspective on on these uh, race things. I suspect it might earn me a bit more if I was willing to indulge completely and completely corrupt myself and go out the and say, shake the can for the Trump administration. Shake the can I, I, is... I imagine I could be very successful at that, uh, but I have my principles. Uh, and a... I, I take these positions not in order to, to piss anyone off or to support we're, we're, I would say that, I let's, let's pat ourselves on the back here for one second. Is that when people say, oh, you're, you're, you're sucking up to Ben Smith and you're uh-huh. pretty nice to Brian Stone. It's like, you know, we, what should I do? I, I don't think that I don't hate people because of their political <laughs> views. I don't know why this is so odd to people. I like people who have views that are different than mine. I am interested in them. Uh-huh. I'm the Jerry Brown thing. I think we're going to disagree on a lot and I'm going to come away happy and enlightened that I talked to Jerry Brown. Should I be mean to We nice to Charlie. Charles Cook and Kevin Williamson yeah, and, sure. and Dominic. Yeah, people, yeah. people with yeah. whom we have disagreements. Yeah. And, yeah. and when when so strange. and when Stelter came in, Stelter knew that there were people on this podcast who had been critical of his work yeah. and who had serious questions for him. He came in the door, mentioned you, Matt Welch, and says, Where's Matt? Yeah. I know Matt has questions for me. If I can have a civil conversation. With yeah. a mainstream journalist, someone who is on television every single day, and talk to them about how you do quality work in the field of journalism, I think that is a good thing. And I'm not going to spit in his mouth because I've had harsh things to say about some of the ways that he approaches his job. I would. I thought it was weird that he called Matt a pussy. About <laughs> yeah, that was weird. He did. He's a year. And I told huge... him that was inappropriate. Oh, I thought it was sexist. Yeah. And just he, because he's had his I, genitals removed, there's, there's, there's nothing <laughs> shameful about it. It was also a really constructive. It was a constructive conversation. <laughs> and even at one point, I think Stelter was kind of surprising himself that he was kind of sympathetic, particularly to your point of view about um, taking down the uh, the priesthood of journalism. That he. Where mm-hmm. he was kind of he kind of admitted I was kind of shocked he admitted that sometimes on CNN when people are waxing he, yeah. poetic about uh, the the glories of journalism and the nobility of it that he's kind of rolling his eyes in the back of his head not visible to the audience and I was, I was surprised that he, he said needs that. to play more mouth trumpet more Kennedy mouth trumpet during those uh, moments <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. yeah well I, I would give him credit for for saying we'll see if it happens when he said and it just the, the pause when he before he said it uh, made me think he was being sincere he said you know I should do more of that mm-hmm. I should actually kind of and, you know, I thought it was a, a, a it was one of the nerdier sort of more insular kind of conversations we've had. But it was it was fun and it was useful. And I'm very critical of him and I've been critical of him. As have I. Um, but he seems like a decent. I, decent I like, type. I like I got, him. I walks out of the room. I like him. A couple of quick points before we, we uh, bounce out of it. Yeah. But on this specific thing of like talking to people, did you see the reaction again from a lot of, of check marks and journalists? The absolute vociferous torrent of reaction against Savannah Guthrie uh, of CBS because. NBC. Uh, sorry, uh, because she's interviewing Smirky Boy. Yeah, well, I, I got you. One, I got you right here, real quick. To I yeah. want you to continue because this is your boy, Jeff Jarvis. Uh, Jesus. So, Jeff. so here's the, the is tweet. He, is he still alive? He's he's think fluencing. The, the the Today Show. The Today Show tweet is uh, Savannah Guthrie's quote. Do you feel from this experience that you owe anybody an apology? Do you see your own fault in any way? Now, Jeff's uh, quote tweet is Guthrie's voice drips with white on white empathy. His with white smugness still. What? Wow. 
Yeah. What does that even mean? No. Are we at a point where we just put fucking white at random places in a sentence and it yes. means you're well, smart? Yeah. Especially what does that mean? Especially well, means, when you're white. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That, that's, yeah. Uh, I mean, you look like that. CUNY, look like CUNY, CUNY, CUNY journalism professor. Yeah. Is I mean, he actually a professor now? Yeah, of course. I mean, he looks not, like a guy that's supporting the Sandinistas in Managua <laughs> in like 85. <laughs> the, the curly beard. The basic claim by a <laughs> lot of journalists, including journalist uh, professor, is how dare she interview this person in the center of a four-day media controversy? What the living fuck? Do you think Don't journalism is for? Don't talk Seriously, what do you think it's for? Hey, Matt, watch whiteness work. Okay, I've been watching whiteness work. All day. <laughs> I want to watch whiteness work. The other thing, it's a new song. I, have you heard that? I want no. to posit <laughs> is that I don't know my voice that Moynihan's was. reticence uh-huh. and uh, and maybe a bit of Camille's reticence or my what, whiteness isn't working. Whiteness isn't working. <laughs> there is something. It, it reminds me, and I don't want to get into the story because it's too long. But of our friend Nancy Rommelman, uh, her husband's coffee shop mm-hmm. has gotten in trouble because Nancy mouths <laughs> off on a uh, on a video uh, blog thing with Leah McSweeney. Uh, that's called me neither, which yeah. drives people crazy, and they and they question narratives about Asia Argento and some other things, mm-hmm. and it's caused this huge storm. And he's losing business, he's losing wholesalers, employees have quit. It's a huge kerfuffle. It's crazy. Um, wait, wait, wait! Before you go for it, what's the name of his business again? Ristretto Roast. Ristretto Roast, Roast in Portland, and they do have online. You can buy coffee online, right? R, yeah, at RPDX or RRPDX, I think dot com. If, if you go to Nancy Rom, Nancy R O M M on Twitter, I'm sure she would it's, have. It's RRPDX.com. Um, Go order have, their coffee. They have actually pretty cool uh, T-shirts, and I told Nancy that the link wasn't working um, to that. But you can place orders online their, their coffee because they have legitimately lost a lot of business. And you can see all these news stories locally in the Willamette Weekly in Portland. And so, but like thinking, the, think por- about yeah. the preponderance of of this. I'm I'm thinking in terms of uh, there's a, there's an analogy here with uh, strategic lawsuits against public participation. Slap. Mm-hmm. There are type a type of lawsuits where basically a rich person tries to sue the hell out of people just to get them to stop talking crap. It's something that the Scientology church did forever. That's why the people were scared to go up against them journalistically. And so states started passing these anti-slap statutes because they saw what people were doing. You're just trying to sue me into silence. I would posit that there's something similar going on with our social media mobocracy right now, Hmm. which is it's not suing you. It is if we sick the mob on you, um, we are going to make it absolutely punitive for you to express your views or you to even be or punitive for people to have you come on. Right. I mean, I guess I'm making an obvious point about cancel culture on some degree, but I think that we should start thinking about it in the same way, because that is absolutely the effect. I saw this with a stupid thing going on with our uh, school uh, diversity thing that I talked about before. Parents are afraid to voice their views about a public policy change because they're afraid of being tarred as racist. And I'm afraid that people are seeing the power in the weapon. That weapon works. Maybe I'm going to use that weapon. And I see this constantly every time I even don't even express an opinion, just am am, am part of a conversation about a controversial thing in which I haven't made up my mind yet. I don't know what the fuck happened in the Lincoln Memorial. I don't know if this diversity thing is a good idea or a bad idea. But I do know that I'm going to talk about it. I don't give a flying fuck if people come at me and call me a racist because it's kind of funny. And because I've been in the public eye for a while, it's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. But like people who haven't been in journalism for 32 years, who haven't been in the center of a couple media storms where you can learn in a Jill Abramson vice way that people get shit wrong all the fucking time. um, They don't have that luxury. 
they're afraid. So what you, what you're effectively doing is you're driving people out of, of, of public participation all over the place. And it's really, really ugly. And we have to think about, I think, um, finding ways without turning into a, just a bunch of walking quillettes out here. <laughs> uh, you know, don't become the person who is obsessed constantly with the mirror image of things. But we've got to create more space for people who don't have uh, that much of a chin to be able to talk about shit without being absolutely hounded out of fucking business. It's, uh, it's, it's insane to me. And that so many people are participating in this right now is uh, that's what is driving me nuts. Not that some I mean, fucking look, seventeen year olds get the, a bad the, time. The, the, this we we have a lot of uh, conversations just in the sort of discourse, political discourse with now, not necessarily in the show about polarization. And there was a while that I was in the Gillespie school of like, ah, it's not worse than it's been. Kind of eye rolling. I'm totally flipped on that. And I noticed this, um, everybody going into their corners is a phrase you hear a lot. And I saw it, of course, in the in the um, high school drum, <laughs> high school drum story, high school drum chicken bone story. I think he's playing the drum with the chicken bone. Uh, and everyone, of course, is very predictable. We know exactly what side they're on, to, you know, if we know their, their previous politics or something. And then I look at the democratic field and how it's shaping up. And it's reminded me so much of kind of the Republican field in this idea in the past. Do you remember this? People say Ronald Reagan could not get elected when this crop of it happens every year. Remember mm -hmm. 2016? Because mm -hmm. it's too conservative. There, there's too many purity tests. And then what have I seen? Look at Kamala Harris online, the Jacobins articles. She's a she's a fraud. She's not left enough. <coughs> she did this stuff when she was AG and blah, blah, blah. Every single one of them, every single person is going to go through. It's Cory Booker. If he announces he's going to run, you know, Bain Capital. Everyone's having their apology tour. Uh, yeah, preemptively. A, a preemptive apology tour. You know, um, Biden. You know, oh, Biden, of course, is getting roasted by uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald today for his support for the crime bill. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody. Those videos involved. are great. They're, they're hilarious. Okay. Yeah, but it's everybody is now is half is running, sprinting. And by the way, they're going to realize pretty soon that the American people don't like this. Their own coalition does getting through the primary. All of the things that you accuse Republicans of in the past, which is true, you know, oh, you got to be super right wing to get to, to get through the primary. And then the American people aren't right. This is Democrats going to find out the same thing is true of the left because everyone's sprinting towards the left and everyone talk about polarization. And then we have the. Trumpoids over here, the people that think Kamala Harris is fucking, you know, the daughter of Barry Goldwater over here. And then there's the other people like us in the middle, like, what the fuck just happened? Where'd everyone go? This party was going pretty good. And then everyone just ran out the windows. And the polarization that you see online, eh, that's driving all this. Nobody else in the culture cares about this stuff. Nobody. Well, I, Nobody I, cares. I care about Kamala Harris's uh, uh, record, and I, I definitely want to prevent her from becoming <laughs> no, but I a mean, Democratic nominee. The, the, the thing just, about just this the fucking, the, this seeps into the culture from Twitter and stuff. The fucking, you know, everyone's like, why are we talking about somebody playing a fucking drum? I mean, I said it tonight. But I'm talking about it. We're all fucking mm -hmm. talking about it. Yeah. Just because the only thing we do now is we don't talk about policy. We don't talk about what's smart. We don't make political prognostications about what's going to happen in elections or in Venezuela or in Brexit, whatever. We are just hounding people with bad ideas. That's what politics has become. That kid is 15. He's got a bad idea. He's got a bad hat on. Punch him. Dogs him. He's 15. He's a kid in fucking Kentucky. Who cares? Uh -huh. There are people all around the world that have bad ideas. I see this. The Daily Mail is great at this. Hmm. 
somebody drives through a drive-thru. I'm just making this up. Drives through a drive-thru in like the middle of like fucking Sheboygan. And then it, it, somebody gets the drink wrong and he's like, you're a fag or whatever. And it's on the cover of the Daily Mail. <laughs> and it's like, the, and there's a picture of the guy and then, he, <laughs> then they follow up. He got fired from his job. It's wrong like, think. there are people that have bad ideas. So are we going to do a story about everybody? This is talk about like Orwellian surveillance culture. Mm. Literally, you lose your mind. And you go nuts about something, and then you're, what was the code words there, uh, Camille? Like, uh, Concerned Becky or whatever the fuck it was? Brad and Becky. Brad and Becky. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, I love the one in, in Park Slope. This woman who's like, you know, tells uh-huh. the woman to get out from under her vestibule because it's raining. And there's like white Becky or blah, blah, blah. Turns out she's Puerto Rican and mentally ill. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, I could have told you that because that's what it looked like in the fucking video. Yeah. And we're going to go around sniffing out these people until they make their mistakes in public. And I'll tell you what, everybody I know, everybody I know who is not somebody who lives by wokeness and everything has to be woke and they weigh it like this is objectized. Well, I don't know what you say that word. I shouldn't say that phrase. Everybody else is fucking terrified. Because they might say the wrong thing. And, and you know, whether it's the weathermen, we have two now, or no, weathermen, guys, uh, the local news guys, uh-huh. the Martin Luther King stuff, two of them, right? The kid who did the Jeremy Lin headline for ESPN, who's now in the priesthood, can I mean, the dreams of, of journalism have turned into dreams of asceticism. I don't know what the hell's <laughs> going on there. But this, uh, oh, when does it end? Jesse Single has a good phrase about this that he came Poor up Jesse. with. Poor Jesse. Oh my God. Um, which is feel bad liberalism. Yeah. Mm. And I think yeah, there's there's something to that. Like there's there's no there's no positive end to this. And by the way, but, Jesse's not one of those guys like Dave Rubin who like claims he's like a leftist or like a Democrat or a liberal. He's like an actual liberal. Yeah. He's an actual liberal. And it, maybe he has a view that's not in vogue on transgenderism or something. Not, I guess not, that's not even. <laughs> Just barely. Yeah, I mean, he always he was, said, like, he did, I actually don't disagree with most of these. He was yeah. doing studies. He, he, yeah. didn't really, he never really posited an opinion yeah. of his own. Yeah. He was doing studies and, and people were telling him, you shouldn't be looking into that. Yeah, yeah. There's a real Stalinism that's gripping certain people because I'll tell you what, why not? And when I say why not is that it works. Do you think that anyone is ever punished for saying that you're Jesse Singal is a transphobe and we should try to mob his employer and try to get fired? And this is really happens, by the way. And I've talked to people and I think even Jesse about this of like their employers, like they get overwhelmed by these people and say, we're going to boycott you and they get nervous. And well, you can't blame them for getting nervous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they stop using them a little less and they're successful at this. And so if if everything that you do to silence somebody who has uh, what you believe to be a pernicious view if what you do to do that which is you know undemocratic and mob-like and thuggish it always works so my tip to people if you want to shut somebody up I, i'll give you a perfect playbook to do it because it works every every single time i mean if somebody found something that you know matt wrote or said on the fifth column and clipped it out and you were an MSNBC contributor <laughs> or something, which maybe something like that didn't happen. And then <laughs> we play in an infinite loop. Yeah, good luck. Good yeah. luck. One thing you didn't, we, we haven't even touched upon, uh, is that somebody was falsely accused of being in the oh, yeah. MAGA hat. Um, he was named. Yeah. He was doxxed. Yeah. His family was harassed. At a and wedding. It, yeah, yeah, it was wedding. his brother's wedding. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, you were talking about Sean King a few weeks ago, you know, with uh, yeah. falsely over accused. Over again. again. Yeah, but, but you know, <laughs> we're not even talking about the collateral debt. Like, we're talking, we've, we've kept it kind of narrow on the kids who actually were on uh, at the Lincoln Memorial. We haven't even talked about the collateral damage that this universal yeah. outrage has directed at the wrong person. Yeah. yeah. And the school's closed today yeah. because of security and a little baby, a little snow. Uh, as well. By the way, don't close for security. 
I mean, honestly, I'm I'm really tired of this idea that like um, you know Jesse is a great example of this because I, I see this. I don't even know what he writes about. It's not an issue I, I cover or care about. Um, and he's and he's accused routinely of um, getting people into these situations where he responds to them and like they're getting threats. There are threats. There's threats everywhere. I mentioned this earlier. Somebody said that too, and I should have been more specific. That I find this argument silly because no one ever shows you the threats. By the way, they just yeah. say that there's threats. There's probably one person tweeted something at you, and everyone loves to sort of overdo it and say, like, "Oh, they're they're after me," and they're no real threats because I, I've heard this from journalists on hot button issues for probably five years now. Can you name one person that has been attacked and beaten up um, after they've been threatened on Twitter for a tweet? I, I, there's not nobody. Literally nobody, because this doesn't happen, because it involves, like, when I was doing the Evergreen story, uh, Evergreen, the Brett Weinstein story for, for the Vice show, um, the, the day where the campus was shut down, because there was a call, like, I'm going to come to the campus and shoot all of you. And um, they said, like, three things in the call that I said to the, the person who played, played the call for me. And I said, well, this isn't true. That's obviously not true. The person's talking about a gun that doesn't work the way the person's talking about it. So I wouldn't worry about it. Like, yeah, I know we have to shut down. I was like, no, I understand. They arrested a guy, I think, in Florida or New Jersey. Just some fucking lunatic. I mean, he was no plans. of. I mean, probably didn't have any money to get the Greyhound bus to go to Olympia, Washington. But we have to keep our heads about, like, what of this stuff is real and what of this stuff is just people being assholes and doing what they do. But they don't, they want it all to be real because it victimizes them in a different way. I said something to Jesse, and all of a sudden, these people on Twitter, turn Twitter off. That's a very simple, turn it off. Yeah. Get rid of your account. But, but he's going to run me up. No, 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 you're running yourself off Twitter. Get, get rid of the account. What are you doing? You're wasting your life. Get out. You're just sitting on a computer getting mad at people. Fuck you. It's a good place to end. I think we've done enough yeah. for today. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully when we come back, um, people won't be talking about 15-year-olds, and uh, Venezuela will be free. We, we hope so. By Marco Rubio. <laughs> it will be the Bolivarian Rubarian Republic of Venezuela. <laughs> All right, cool. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.